We have almost forgotten that we are in a great mortal combat. The battle of the forces of good and the forces of evil. Today we are beginning either to domesticate the devil or else to deny him. God's definition of himself is I am who I am. The devil's definition of himself is I am who I am not. He is most powerful when he is denied. I want to thank Dan Schneider for that those cool bumpers. Uh, that's not I take no credit for that. Hey, by the way, I'm back. You're probably saying, Jess, you've been gone for a long time. What happened with you? You know, a, a lot of liberals call the summer that we're living in, they call it the summer of rage. Uh, you also have, remember, back in 2002, when a lot of the sexual scandals were erupting, we call 2002 the summer of shame. Jesse Romero is going through the summer of penance. God has called me to, uh, he's called me to, uh, uh, to a high level of penance these last couple of weeks. I'm still in pain right now, but I'm glad to be on the show. Uh, I'm here with Dan Schneider today, and I know you guys really look forward to Wednesday's show. Uh, Dan, welcome back. We haven't been together in a few weeks. I've been, uh, I've been out of commission. Yeah, you've been on uh, uh, TDY, other uh, other other duty, and uh, it's good it's good to be back and have you back, Jess. I've been on penance duty, brother. Penance, and I'm you've been on doing... penance duty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People don't understand that, and uh, you know, we're like we're going to talk about today about curses, how you get how these things enter into your family line. When I'm dealing with cases, I tell them, look, uh, God has given you a great gift. Uh, people don't see it that way at first when they're suffering, but. The power of suffering is something that's unfathomable. Um, St. Faustina said that if the angels were able to, to, to uh, have envy, they would envy us for two things. One, the ability to, to receive Holy Communion, receive our Lord bodily in Holy Communion. And two, they would envy our ability to suffer because it's in suffering we can bodily unite ourselves. And even psychological suffering that people are going through, emotional suffering, by, by offering ourselves, we, we, we make the, the angels envy. Um, says St. Faustina. So there's, there, that means there's something powerful. There's something, there's something deeply embedded into, into suffering that, that allows us to most conform ourselves bodily. What's the, what's the commonality between receiving communion and suffering? We both unite ourselves. In both, we bodily unite, unite ourselves to our, our suffering Lord. Yeah. That, so, uh, so I tell people, Dan, that I'm doing a Romans 12, one and Colossians one twenty four right now. That's, I'm, I'm living yeah. those two verses this summer. 12.1 is, uh, you know, offer your body as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing. Colossians 1.24 is, uh, you know, uh, uh, St. Paul talks about the fact that he offers his body as a sacrifice uh, uh, for the sake of Christ, for for those yeah. the mystical body of Christ as well. And, I, you know, I, I, there's, there's a reason why God has called me to a very acute uh, level of suffering these last couple of weeks. And I'm I'm, I'm good with it. Here's just on a catechetical note for people out there that are suffering. Here's what Jess Romero does to make my suffering efficacious and meritorious. Every morning and afternoon and evening. So I do, I'll do this prayer three times a day. Okay. 
I'll do it 6, 12, and 6. It's the morning offering, but in the afternoon, I'll just say afternoon. I'll say, oh, Jesus, I'll make the sign of the cross, oh, Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world. So I drew that at 6 in the morning, 12 noon, and 6 p.m. So I'm doing it three times a day. I'm constantly offering my pain to the Lord, uniting it to the Holy Mass. The Mass is being said around the world. Also, I do this one prayer in the morning, just once a day, in the event that what I'm going through is maybe some type of diabolical attack, which it could be. We know from the Bible that the devil attacks people physically. And so I'm not saying that I'm a holy person, but uh, the fact is maybe he wants to get me away from this microphone permanently. So this is another prayer Dan taught me. Uh, it's called, uh, it's a prayer to repel demonic attacks. So I'll do this prayer in the morning. Lord, I'm experiencing X, you know, pain. If this is not of you and it's of diabolical origin, I ask you, Lord, to send it back to the source with a tenfold blessing. But if you want me to carry this cross, I will fully accept it. I, w- I ask you for the grace to carry it and offer it. Uh, then I'll say for my for my sins and the sins of my family in reparation for my sins and the sins of my family. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So once again, I'm not letting this pain go to waste. I'm offering it up three times a day, morning, midday, and evening. And in the morning, in case, in case these these attacks are diabolical, I'm I'm uh, I'm doing the the prayer to repel diabolical attacks. Dan, what else? What else would somebody should do? Yeah, you you want to make you want to make sure that that you know you want to exhaust all physical. Um, natural explanations. We're, we're too quick to, to give the devil way more credit than he, than he gets. Now, whenever there's physical, psychological, emotional suffering and pain and trauma, the devil will always try to exploit that. He'll always try to, 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 to be there to try to catch you when you're weak. When he attacked the Lord uh, who was fasting for 40 days, he didn't catch him on day one or day two when he was emotionally charged and, and, and ready to go on this fast. He went after the Lord after 40 days. After 40 days, it says, and when the Lord was hungry, the devil appeared to him. So offering that, that prayer you, you, you prayed is very powerful. I just got an email not long ago from one, one of the cases that we're monitoring. And uh, I taught her that prayer. And she, she, I didn't remember telling her, but to offer it for her local bishop. She says, when I offered up for, for certain intentions, I don't get any kickback. But when I offer my suffering up specifically for my bishop, she says, I can tell that whatever is afflicting me gets very angry and doesn't like that at all, which I find quite interesting. So offering your suffering for your bishop, for your pastor, for the purification of the church, for, for, for that Our Lady would, 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 would come in her triumph of the, of the Immaculate Heart would, would be made present in our age to bring about victory. Offering up, linking your suffering, not just with Christ's suffering, but add an intention to it. Um, this is, this is, you know, when you're teaching fighters, Jess, you're teaching them how to, how to counterpunch, but also to turn their wrist. You know, it's the turning of the wrist. It's the, the little flip of the, of the hips that puts the difference between a slap and a punch. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, how many times you told your fighters stop pawing, you know what I mean? They, they want to kind of paw and they don't want to really, they don't want to, they don't want to expose themselves and throw heavy punches by turning the hips and turning the wrist. You're putting the snap on the punch. This is turning your suffering, part of how we turn our suffering into prayer, which, the, which like I said, the, the angels envy. So linking your prayers to the source of the suffering or for the purification of the church or whoever in your familial construct is, is, is most in danger, uh, you know, spiritually, whoever's most suffering, offering up your suffering for souls. This is a far better uh, prayer than anything that has been contained in Father Ripperger's book. Deliverance prayers for use by the lady. This is the most powerful way we can we can combat evil because we most link ourselves with Christ. 
Dan, let me just mention one of the one of the articles that we have for people that want to read it on the show page, vmpr.org or jesseromero.com. On, on, uh, we have an article on Joseph Smith. I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to tell you what it says. You can read it on your own. He was a Freemason. And in fact, the Mormons brag about it on their website. Um, and you can see in this article, it just it shows the origins of Freemasonry. Uh, and the fact is, the origins of, um, of, the, of the Mormon church, they call themselves the, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All the early Mormons were, were Masons. And so you'll see a lot of the... Pra- this is why there's a lot of practices within the Mormon cult. And they're a theological cult. They're nice people. They live all around me, basically, in Arizona. I'm not, I'm not afraid of them. It's not like, you know, I'm glad I don't have a bunch of BLM or Antifa or, uh, or uh, you know, uh, Ruth sent us or, or Jane's Revenge people that live around me. I've got decent people that live around me, a lot of Mormons. But theologically, they're a cult. And you can see a lot of their practices were borrowed straight from Freemasonry. A lot of their, again, their, their secret societies, the, the way they were formed, their uh, secret handshakes, their secret oaths that they swear. Uh, so if you're interested in seeing the nexus between the, the Mormons and Freemasons, just go and grab the article from our show page, uh, vmpr.org or jesseromero.com. But uh, again, uh, the Freemasons, they claim, they claim to go back to the Old Testament. There is no evidence of that. There is absolutely no historical basis for that. <clears throat> you will find uh, so the earliest records tell of masonry originating. Again, this is according to their legend to the Old Testament times. They try to connect themselves with Solomon. To, uh, it, it's, it's just not going to work. That's, uh, it's what's called revisionist history. The Masons were started in 1717 over in, uh, in, in, uh, in Europe, and they were a secret society of Masons that were later basically taken over by the intelligentsia. And, uh, you know, they're a secret society, which one of their goals is the eradication of the Catholic faith. They see the Catholic faith that built Western civilization as one of their enemies. And so I think, in, I think that a lot of the things that we're dealing with right now a lot of the people that are in power on planet Earth right now are Masons. And uh, the final showdown that we're going to be seeing before the second coming of Christ is Catholic Catholic Church, and Western built, which built Western civilization and Freemasonry, which is a secret society that serves Satan, that, uh, again, has a, has a different agenda with this whole Great Reset, this whole Build Back Better, this whole One World Government. Uh, you know, this 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 entire notion of uh, of uh, of just building a new a new and better world according to their liking. Dan, you got a comment before we go on to a break? I know it was in um, within within a generation or less than a generation, only a few years after that, actually, um, 1738, Pope Clement XII issued the first condemnation um, of free, Freemasonry and and forbidding Catholics. Uh, um, and actually, membership in there in the Freemasonic organizations carries a, a, a latte to sente uh, excommunication. Um, so you're, you're 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 by default excommunicated by your membership in the, in the Freemasonic organizations. And he says the language he uses that this prohibition is valid forever, valid forever. So and since then, then there's been 36 condemnations since then uh, of the church's stance against Freemasonry. We'll be back. Two man car. 
Des Romero, Dan Schneider, all things Catholic. Stick around. I'm a joker. Do you believe in the Virgin Mary? Sir, no, sir! Private joker. I don't believe I heard you correctly. Sir, the private said no, sir, sir! Why, you little maggot! You make me want to vomit! You're having a seether and you had best sound off that you love the Virgin Mary, or I'm gonna stomp your guts out. Now, you do love the Virgin Mary, don't you? That looks like a Kyle Clement retreat, by the way. Yeah, Kyle's out. Of, he's even two weeks to retreat. We're just sending a, a little, a little reminder to our to our followers here. Uh, you know, that our listeners that if you could be at that retreat right now, getting slapped in the face by a Kyle Kemet, being slapped with the truth, uh, uh, being awakened to the truth, uh, we are sitting safely uh, uh, out of arm's distance right now. But uh, we pray for all those that join those retreats. And, and Father Ripperger is also. Um, leading us father and son and mother daughter retreat so and they they filled up quickly so maybe next year we'll i'm sure that we're going to be doing more of them over the next few years so so yeah let's uh we'll, hey. we'll we'll announce those ahead of time so people that missed this time can get in there next time dan here's a question people these are common questions that people ask about masons here's one that people generally ask they'll say okay how does a person get rid of a 33 degree masonic ring that was handed down to me from my great grandfather. How would you handle that, Dan? Yeah, <clears throat> like anything else, uh, any other, uh, any connections with the occult, um, it needs to be destroyed. The formula that we recommend is break, burn, bless, burn, and bury. Um, blesses, we don't, a lay people, a lay person cannot bless an object, but it can invoke a blessing. Um, when, 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 our, when our exorcist gives me, Cursed items, uh, altars to Santeria, cursed rosaries, etc. Um, <clears throat> he will decommission them, and then we'll destroy them. Um, but pray a prayer of reparation to the of, of uh, to the to the Heart or Sacred Heart of Jesus, to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, to a prayer of repar- reparation. Um, break and destroy. In a case of the ring, you would just smash it in the best way. You could put it in a vise, hammer, smash it, um, destroy it, make it no longer operable. Put it into running water, if possible. If not. Uh, bury it so it's no longer to be can no longer be found. Bury it on public land somewhere and get it out of your property, but don't keep it around because it's cute and reminds you of Grandpa. That stuff's got to be destroyed. All the Freemasonic objects and everything. This is what Father Amos, Father Gabriel Amor says, who was you remember Father Father Gabriel was the chief exorcist for the Diocese of Rome for many many years. Wrote several books. He says every form of magic is is practiced with recourse to Satan. And so sometimes we think, oh, because we're not asking for bad things, it's just white magic. We're asking for good things. We're asking for help. We're asking for love, for marriage, for financial blessings or whatever. Then it's okay. It's just white magic. It's not black magic. We're not cursing people. That's not true. It's, it, still has, it still has a recourse to Satan according to the, the world's most famous exorcist, at least in the modern time. So, so destroying those things, um, having them decommissioned by a priest – um, or, or asking the Lord, praying a prayer to break any curses associated with it from Father Ripper's book. There's other prayers in there for breaking any curses. Um, and then uh, um, destroy them, get rid of them. And then uh, also praying for the deceased loved family members. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's this thing today about healing the family tree. And you really can't heal the family tree, but you can heal family members, current, beginning with those who are alive today. Um, but also having the Catholic response to this is having masses said for the dead. 
So having masses said for the repose of these souls, praying uh, prayers of reparation for their sins uh, of your ancestors to try to break any effect of these curses in your family. Here's a second question, Dan, which kind of it, uh, it piggybacks with this first question. So somebody feels that they, well, they know factually that they have Freemasonry in the family through their father, through their grandfather. There's some type of patriarchal bloodline. Now, they're, they've had a conversion. They're practicing Catholics. Maybe they're head of household. But they know that dad and the grandfather and great-grandfather, you know, uh, were practicing Freemasons probably at a pretty high level. So now dad finds out, or the wife finds out and tells the husband, we need to do something. How does the patriarch of the family break a Masonic curse once he finds out that in his patriarchal lineage, there's Freemasonry? What would you tell him to do? Yeah, these are these are pesky. They're 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 hard. Their effects are hard to to root out. So you got to get on them early. Um, um, the the um, the recourses are still the same. Um, the you know having masses said for the dead, prayers of reparation. San Alfonso says, um, "Why would God allow these curses?" This is San Alfonso's doctor of the Church, um, and his answer was to chastise someone for their sins. And so, and to, and so as to, to, for the purpose of purification, not to chastise that God gets pleasure from chastising us, but all suffering is for our purification. And so, so if He allows this, we must turn the suffering into a form of prayer, as we discussed in the last segment. So, having a prayerful recourse um, through suffering, so offering suffering sacrifices, there's prayers to bring. Um, uh, generational curses in Father Ripperker's book for use, you know, deliverance prayers for use by the laity. So praying these prayers um, to 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 break uh, the effect of these curses, having masses said, offering your suffering sacrifices, but ultimately growing in holiness. The you know when these things happen again, it's for our purification, and so um, um, it's bringing the family together in prayer, returning to the sacraments, destroying every connection with with evil that you may have in your home, making your home a truly Catholic home, you know, get rid of the, the Buddha statue that you brought back on from vacation. You thought was cute. Get, get rid of the, the Coca Pelli, get rid of the, the dream catchers. Get rid of all this, these things that have pagan roots and return your home, your life, yourself into uh, a truly Catholic space. And, and that, that is first and foremost, the, the goal of it is to grow in holiness, to become holy. And this is how we're going to ultimately militate by growing in holiness of thought, word, and deed. Dan, I want to mention something. You know, sometimes I, uh, I, I would uh, hear the word sacred space, and I'd say, oh, that's some type of liberal post-Vatican II term. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there really is a lot of truth to sacred space. You're, you're just talking about it. Every Catholic should try to make their house and their ambience in their house a sacred space to Jesus. And I've noticed, because you know, e- even amongst family members, not amongst friends, because all my friends are hardcore Catholics, but amongst you know family members back in California, uh, uh, acquaintances, you know, you, you get invited to uh, the banquet for the wrestling team and stuff, and you know you get invited to somebody's house. You'll notice, Dad, Dan, is that a lot of houses, even of Catholics and Protestants, they're not sacred spaces. And what I mean by that, they do have a lot of those accoutrements that you just mentioned right now. And it's quite normal for them, you know, to have, again, yeah. the entire library of Harry Potter, to have, uh, 
you know, all kinds of things on the walls and on their shelves that that bespeak of the occult. And so uh, I think I, I think, I, you know, I've heard you say this several times and I've heard Kyle Clement also as Catholics. We've lost our ability to understand or discern the clean from the unclean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And 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 this isn't only. Uh, by the way, I'm not just talking about our own fellow lay Catholics. I mean, I, I don't want to get you know too specific, but this even goes within our clergy. This is even within our clergy, Dan. And I'll and I say that yeah. because, not too long ago, and anybody can verify what I'm saying right now. Uh, LifeSite News did an article, front page article, where they showed 14 bishops in the U.S. who are pro LGBT that wear uh, rainbow-colored stoles. They have rainbow-colored ultra-cloth coverings. They have a rainbow flag in the sanctuary. This is not Catholic. This is is unclean. So when I talk about unclean practices, I'm not just talking about lay people here. I'm talking about even our shepherds here, that some of them have embraced unclean practices. They must renounce all of this because, again, uh, they're bringing... They could bring spiritual affliction to themselves, isn't that correct? Sure, sure, absolutely. Any more than I mean, if if, if you're addicted to pornography, um, you know, as a father in the home, uh, imagine, or you're having an affair, you know, or whatever, um, um, your children are no longer protected. So, um, the the whole the whole, the, the twofold ends of the authority structure that God has established through natural law and divine law, divine positive law, to other refers to it in the developed tradition. The, the natural law structure is there to, pr- to do two things, to provide and to protect. If you, if you abdicate your authority and you give permissions through, through um, grave violations of, of thought, word, and deed, then you expose the, the protective aspect of your authority is now compromised. And you're, you're exposing your children um, to, to the diabolic, just like a, a bishop can do the same thing to his flock, to his priest. And so shoring, the, shoring these areas up are absolutely critical. Again, offering your suffering up. We found this again recently in the case, uh, asking her to offer her suffering up for her bishop, and it's causing a lot of inner turmoil to the demon um, that's afflicting her. Here's a list that I put in the book um, that will be coming out hopefully in the next six months. Um, you can have a priest pray prayers of severing. Um, um, if it's institutional, oftentimes, like Freemasonry, it's, it's an institution. So it's an institutional evil. Other types of witchcraft where it has an institutional element, at times God will, will wait until there's an institutional response by the church. And so having a priest pray prayers of severing, Father Ripperger's got a great book, um, Prayers of Deliverance and Minor Exorcism for Priests. That's a great gift for your pastor. Um, so and there's, there's a great prayer on the very beginning, page like 26 or 27 of that book that's very effective. When priests pray and they sever these, these, the generational spirits, but also what we can do on our end, fasting and prayer. Uh, by praying binding prayers to bind the demon's activity associated with the, any curses, prayers of massive reparation for the sins of your family and for the souls in purgatory, daily rosary for this intention, uh, general prayers asking Christ with deprecatory prayers to drive it out of your family and generational line, offering your communion for this intention, asking Our Lady and your guardian angels for protection to block them, fostering devotion to the nemesis saint for the demon. Right, God always sends help from the mystical to the myst- from the mystical body to help us. A saint whose charism is specifically designed to drive this out of your home. So start watching which saints have kind of cycled into your life or your family's life because it's most likely, like I was in the cavalry, 
It's, this is God is sending the, the spiritual cavalry down to, to, to help with a precise saint who is the, the, the archdiocese of this particular demon or defect or curse in the family line. Um, use of sacramentals in the home. Again, blessing the home, doing the epiphany blessing every year as head of, as head of household. Um, and confessing any sins associated with it, if it's a certain type of, of, of curse and a certain type of, of, of affliction and spirit, confessing all those sins to bring as much sacramental grace into the family as you can. Um, so, and, and then yeah, just, you it's something in. you must just chisel. Go ahead. Here's what I hear you saying, is that this is going to be hard work. This is going to be, it's going to be a rough road. This isn't. This isn't. Hey, I'm going to go Tuesday night to, uh, you know, to Karen's uh, prayer group where she lays hands on people in the basement, and she drives out demon. You know, it, people are looking for Tylenol. This isn't Tylenol. In other words, when they got diabolically afflicted, it didn't happen over. It didn't happen overnight. I mean, this is a pattern. This is a lifestyle of mortal sin. And so the remedy is going to be the same way, right, Dan? It's, they're going to have to grind it out, correct? They got to they got to grind it out. They got to grind it out. You have to look at this as, as an infiltration into your home. As a head of household, you got to take it down, just like you would take down a, somebody trying to break into your home. We'll be right back. War College Wednesday. War College with Dan Schneider, Jess Romero. We'll be right back. We're back. Hey, we had a little. Uh, Little weather problem out here in Los Angeles and uh, everything. I guess uh, the weather didn't like the information that we were putting out. Uh, but here we are. Hey, hey, Dan, you know something? Yeah. Uh, there's actually prayers. Yeah, part of that is... yeah there's actually Catholic yeah, prayers right. to pray for against bad weather. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, Father Ripperger tells a story one time that there was he went, back when he was in Oklahoma, there was a tornado running right in his path and he, he prayed. Uh, there's a prayer in his book against storms and tempests, and uh, and the actually said he could you could see it on the radar that it just the storm just split into two right when it got to the 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 town where his where he was where his order was. So yeah, yeah, we need to go to God in all things, including uh, to, you know prayer. I mean uh, bad weather. So because again, uh, this is why we we some of our binding prayers talk about the forces, the air, the water, the ground, another world. Right, that's right. Uh, nature and in fire, because these elements, these elements get get utilized as conduit, so to speak, for the diabolic. And e each angel has given his his hierarchical within the hierarchy what his structure, what his what his what his marching orders are. And the higher ranking, the mid choir angels are in charge of weather, um, that sort of thing. So th those, 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 we need to be always praying for, for, for that, for the church, for the weather, for our country, et cetera, to help these, to, to, to empower these angels. Because remember, the angels go where they're asked, the demons go where they're not resisted. The more we pray, the more we can, we can help things. Uh, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. And, and also, what's interesting, Dan, is, uh, you, you have also in the, in the scriptures, Elijah prayed, and I think, uh, I think it it didn't yeah. rain for three and a half years or something like that, and then he yeah. also he also prayed he called down fire from heaven in front of the uh, the yeah. four hundred fifty uh, pagans of Baal. So, yeah, we see that angels and demons are actively involved with the weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We you know it was Elijah that 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 prayed and and brought about the drought, and then Elijah prayed and uh, you know from the mountaintop and. And he prayed, and the cloud st 
started in the, in the distance. How far away is it? He goes back down and prays again. And next thing you know, um, there's a flood, you know. Um, so, so our prayers are very effective. You know, it was Blaise Pascal that said, God has bestow- bestowed on man the, the great dignity of being causes, meaning we, can, we become causal. We, we become secondary causes in the primary cause of Christ, the word, that we can bring about grace on earth and our families and our homes uh, in our diocese, in our cities, through our prayer, that we, 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 we participate in a causal way of the distribution of the graces of Calvary, as we discussed earlier, through our suffering, but through our intercessory prayer. It's very important for us to pray. Most Catholics really think that, um, you know, listening to podcast, you know, Catholic podcasts and, and reading about the saints uh, is prayer. That's not prayer. Prayer is an engagement of the heart with God. It is. It is. Saint Teresa of Avila, Doctor of the Church, says that that, that is nothing but conversation with Him, His Majesty within, Him who He we know loves us. So converse with God is very important. Learning how to use meditative prayer is absolutely critical. You know, if you want to pray for this or that, inter, use the words. Enter into the mystery, the words of Scripture. Enter into the life of of the various biblical figures of like Elijah reading that story of Elijah's defeat of, of um, the prophets of Baal. It, when, when that's read during a, a minor exorcism session, there's a visible tangible um, note. I mean, beyond noticeable manifestation is caused every single time because when the, when, when we, we read the lives of the saints, their writings, those who defeated the enemy in the flesh, are very effective intercessors for us today. So engaging the entire mystical body is absolutely critical for us as Catholics. Again, we're fighting an ancient enemy. We need to use the ancient weapons of the church, and part of that is invoking the, the saints uh, and the angels to our assistance. Dan, this is a, this is probably going to take up the entire fourth segment, but I just want to give you a primer of what people are asking. I want you to talk about curses, so you'll, you'll have a, the fourth segment to talk about curses. And the two principal things that I want to ask you is what are the three principal categories of curses? So that's the first question I want to ask you. Then the second question I want you to you to, to answer as well mm-hmm. is what are the two types of blood curses? Now I ask this. I uh, I'm, I'm I'm Mexican American. This is so common in the Hispanic community. Uh, you know, unevangelized Catholics that are you know away from the mm-hmm. church. And they get involved in superstitious practices, and when they get mad at you, they start cursing each other. Families start cursing families. They start cursing husbands and wives and children. This is so common amongst the unconverted Catholics in in the hood. This is also very common because I'm very I have a lot of good Philippine friends, Philippine Catholics. Amongst unconverted Filipinos, this is also. In other words, this is kind of a way that people get back at their enemies that are unconverted. They don't have a relationship with God. And so they say, yeah, I can't stand my sister-in-law. And somebody told me if I go to that lady over there, she will show me how to, you know, spiritually beat up my sister-in-law through curses. So I I want you to talk about that in the fourth segment because this is a huge topic. Okay. I think it's very prevalent in the Anglo community as well. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, Syncretism is very alive today, yeah. Yeah. War co- Wednesday War College. Jess Romero, Dr. Dan Schneider, talking about all things spiritual warfare. We'll be right back.
Dan, does that bring back memories? Get you into work. Get you motivated <laughs> to get the day on. Yeah. So, 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 give, give me a. So, when you're in the army, what would happen when you hear that? What, what, what does that do automatically to your your mind and body? You're automatically you're up. You're out. You're out of bed. You're getting dressed in 30 seconds. You're up and you're out. None of this hitting the snooze, waiting nine minutes, feeling sorry for yourself, having your first pity, you know, pity party day. You know, you get up and get on it. Uh, St. Jose Maria Escriva calls it the the uh, uh, the heroic moment. You know, and, and we're going to start today with effeminacy. We're going to start today with softness, thinking about, oh, I'm so tired. I'm... No, you get up. You get up and get on whatever whatever the Lord's got for you that day. You got to get up and get on it. It's um, just part of the, it's part of the soldiering ta- the soldier's task. You just got to get up and get on. There's no there's no no slowing down. You just do it. Uh, uh, don't sit around. You start that first moment. You start feeling sorry for yourself. Now that's why you know he calls it the heroic moment. For me, the second heroic moment is the shower. You know, you can sit in there for 30 minutes and just oh, it feels so good. I I deserve this. You know, I mean, I'm not saying there's not a time to have. You know, I'm not a advocating that we just go John the Baptist. All the way, we got to be in this world, but at the same time, being disciplined and making those little sacrifices—that's what soldiers do. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, the uh, Exodus ninety program. I've done it twice, and one of the things that you do for ninety days is you take cold showers. It is yeah. brutal. It is brutal, yeah. but uh, yeah, I, I'd recommend any Catholic guy do it at least one time in your life. I've done it twice. I'll probably yeah, do it again. I'll... Yeah. Yeah, our protocol is similar. It's a 30-day protocol, the first phase. The first phase of the four-phase protocol is 30-day, uh, uh, you know, um, 30 days similar, media fast, hitting certain prayers at set times of the day. It's not nearly as strict as, as Exodus 90. But what we found is, based on this, the logic, uh, the monastic logic of the tradition of the churches, is that the demon responds to the imposition of order as, he much, as, as much as he does to the prayers themselves. So you can pray all these prayers to try to break this curse or pray to break that curse. But if your life is not ordered to prayer, not just I have a few prayers, I'm going to pray this prayer. And if I pray this prayer, then I'll be free of this so I can go on with my life and live a quasi-pagan existence and not fully embrace my faith. No, the imposition of order is absolutely critical. Just like the discipline, you know, every Marine knows, you know, these Marines that they write a love poem to their rifle. This is my rifle, although there'll be other rifles just like it. There's another one, no other rifle just like mine, right? So having the discipline, the mechanics of shooting are very, very important. I mean, the average Marine is, 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 a, is a sharpshooter. I mean, one of the best shooters in the world because of they know the mechanics of it. And so part of being accurate, part of, of hitting your target isn't just having the right weapon, but it's knowing how to use it and having your body conform and use the weapon to your advantage. And so having the discipline of prayer is absolutely critical. It's absolutely critical in spiritual combat. A life order to prayer and then focus on which specific prayers and how else to militate against these types of curses. Dan, you know what saddens me right now? You talked about the Marines, a lot of, lot, you know, my lot of family, a lot of family on my wife's side. Uh, we're, we're Marines, are Marines. And uh, they, they just went woke, Dan, couple, this, uh, this year. They, uh, you'll, you'll see the Marine Corps just, uh, they're flying the LGBT pride flag. I never thought yeah, it was yeah, going it, it, I never thought you never think it would get happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's infested this this sickness. It goes to show you the power of the diabolical left then. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It goes, you you had mentioned earlier, the, the types, the, the, the types of curses and, and what you just described is what we call the, the zeitgeist, uh, the spirit of the age. 
And so one type of generational, there's three principal types of generational curses. The first one is the spirit of the age. And certainly this, this whole movement that you describe is, um, is, is part of the spirit of this age that we're battling. So praying against that as parents, praying, Lord, I ask you to bind any spirit of the age that would try to afflict my family, my children, that would try to infest this home. It's very, very important. I'm recognizing that we're all influenced by the spirit of this age, and every age has their own, whichever, whichever these these cosmic entities um, uh, will, will try to spin in each generation. Whatever works the best, they're going to work it. And this is we're in that. That's one of them here. This this, this whole trans trans movement is is one that the spirit of the age. Completely, the spirit of the age. And, and Dan, I, you know, I, I have a feeling that this is the battle that we're going to be fighting until the second coming of Christ. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, I think absolutely. Um, Saint uh, Lucia, or is it Blessed, or Saint? She's Saint now of uh, the Santos from Fatima, the seer, or Venerable. I think she's still Venerable. Um, she, in an interview late in her life, and it's only because she only died a few years ago, not long ago in our lifetime. She says that the battle, the final battle between good and evil, and the and the victory of the church over Satan is going to come. The battleground is going to be the family. And so this is where we're at. This is, and the spirit of the age is, is one broad, broad, broadly used weapon that in this particular age. And we're getting bombarded like a B-52 strike right now, culturally. Even the Marines, the military, West Point, uh, the Naval Academy, all this stuff, you know, these, these institutions that were just venerable. Uh, again, this began, not, not to dive into politics, but this began two presidents ago when they did a purge. Uh, of the general ranking, the, the ranking general officers, they purged them, those that were not woke. And this whole woke uh, mentality opens the pathway for these other things to come in in their, in their wake. Dan, take the next couple of minutes to talk about the three principal categories of curses and the two types of blood curses. Yeah, the, the, the principal, well, the one we described, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, that's one type. The second type of what we call a generational curse, but think procreational. These are these are familial curses that can enter into a family line through violations of the procreative act. So um, we we know that, for example, the in the New Testament, when the apostles are trying to the disciples are trying to drive out a demon you know, from a child, and Jesus asked the child. Um, uh, or asked the father, "How long has this been going on?" And and the and the father said, "Since since since his youth." But the Greek word "pedaiphen" um, since his since he was a little feller, we would say in Ohio, since he was a little guy, going all the way back to his infancy, um, this has been afflicting him. So we see the presence of, of these types of curses in, in the scriptures. Um, Matthew 25, 27, 25, may his blood be, the, the, the Jewish leaders, may his blood be upon us and upon our children. Mm-hmm. Hosea 4, 6, since you have sinned against the Lord, uh, Lord your God, I will ignore your sons. These are all, you know, indications that these things can pass along the family line, um, these grave sinful acts. And so, so generational or procreational curses is another one. And the third type, what we call blood curses. Blood curses are those that follow the bloodline. Two principal types we discussed Freemasonry at the beginning um, is what we call Rosicrucianism, where, where promises are made, um, um, pacts are made through through ritual acts. Um, for example, in Freemasonry, um, listen to the violation, the absolute uh, reversal of a curse. Um, um, the penalty, may my tongue be split from tip to root. Um, the penalty of my breast being torn open, my heart and vital organs removed and exposed to rot in the dunghill. Uh, um, 
um, other other curses similar to that that, that might my, my, my innards be ripped asunder and, and for the birds of the, the field to eat etc these are violations of bodily integrity wow. body soul integrity these are these are the packs that are made even if they're done quasi jesting these are still things that that again the interactive aspect of it these things are taken very seriously because these are ritualistic acts performed and it follows the curse follows the bloodline. That's why they're called blood curses. The second type, which is very common, like you mentioned in, in certain cultures, but all cultures are now dipping into it, even suburban Anglo cultures. Um, and that is what's called pelican witchcraft. And pe- the pelican, this goes back to an ancient second century, second or third century image of Christ, Christ the great pelican. The pelican was seen in, in the, in the, in, in the uh, in the their understanding of the day, they didn't have the, the the science that we have, animal science, et cetera. They saw the pelican whose beak would turn red, blood red, in certain times of the year, and they would they would feed their young by they would hide their food underneath their wing, and they would pull this out, pull out the food, and feed their youth. But when you're looking at it from a distance, it looks like with the red beak that they're ripping off their flesh, their own breast, to feed their children, and so. Pelican witchcraft. This is a, is a mockery of the of the Eucharist. This this is an image of Christ. If you go to that famous right. staircase uh, chapel in Santa Fe, there, there, the, the, you see uh, these beautiful images of the pelican all over. Most people didn't know what that is. This is an ancient symbol of Christ mm. in the Eucharist. This is an this is a document from the third century. Um, uh, the parents hitting uh, back. Uh, want to kill the youngs, but moved by compassion, they weep over them for three days, lamenting over them for whom they killed. On the third day, their mother strikes her side, spills her own blood over their dead bodies, and the blood itself awakens them from death. This is what our Lord did. The maker of every creature brought us forth, and we struck him when we served our other served the creatures in idolatry and not the creator. The Lord ascended to the heights of the cross, and the impious one struck his side and opened it, and the blood and water came forth for our eternal life. And so this image of Christ, the, 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 the divine pelican, the great pelican, and so pelican witchcraft uses its ex carne out of the flesh. So the practitioner will use parts of his body, though. Um, we won't get into the description of various things that they'll do. Um, but they'll yeah, let, me stop parts, you there. Oh, let me stop you yeah. there. There's a lot of Hollywood actors that are drinking each other's blood, like Megan Absolutely. Fox and many others. Is this yeah. a form of pelican witchcraft? Exactly. Absolutely. It's exactly what it is. It's a mockery of the Eucharist, a mockery of Christ, the divine pelican. So, so, um, so this this ritual that some of these Hollywood uh, performing is these are satanic rituals that they're they're drinking blood. I mean, this is there's no other way around it. Yeah. So this would be an excarnate, something from the flesh. Um, that and this this type of curse will also follow the bloodline. It will it will track along the bloodline as well. Then you could also so we see the crudendadas, you see tanteria, you see these other things. This is where this is. Dan, find, I know you'll find in a lot of the Hispanic and the Philippine community, they'll, they'll say, okay, if you, if you want to get back against your sister-in-law, give us like a piece, give, her a, a, give us a picture of her or a piece of her hair right. or some article from her clothing article and bring it over here. What's the significance right. of that? Again, it goes back to this. They're, they're going to blend the, they're going to blend components of the body to, put, to, to, to conscript. This is the whole concept is that you use part, you, you use parts of this body or, or an animal, uh, or, 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 you know, something, something fleshly, something blood, like going back to the mockery of the pelican, the pelican, which, or the pelican, the Christ, the great pelican, the Eucharist. So the idea is, is through that sacrifice, um, a, a, a demon is conscripted and it follows into the family line and favors are invoked. <laughs> 
Wow. Deep, deep stuff. Dan, thanks a lot. Uh, you always take us in. You always take us into the deep end of the pool every time I have you on on Wednesdays. We don't stay in the shallow part. Appreciate. Yeah, you uh, got to wait an hour. You got it after you eat. You got to wait at least an hour. <laughs> when you get into the deep end, right? Yeah, I appreciate you and Kyle coming on Wednesday. War College. Thanks uh, for always having me. Yeah, that's a wrap. By the way, folks, that's a wrap. Uh, my name is Jesse Romero. Up next, Gary Machuda with Hands On Apologetics. Uh, the big guy, high-level apologetics from the Midwest Command Center. As for Dan Schneider and Jess Romero, we are EOW, end of watch. We are out. God bless you. Keep the faith.